Hello and welcome back to Holding Space for Therapists, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy, and I am recording this from my home office because I am currently sheltering at home with my family. The governor of California this week ordered all of California to shelter at home amidst the coronavirus crisis. I have moved my business completely virtual and I am seeing all my clients remotely and trying to figure that out amidst um, also having my kids home and my partner home, um, my kids supporting them through their online learning as the schools have shut down. I know that I'm not in this alone and that we are all navigating these challenges and the changes um, while trying to protect and support our communities by social distancing. Now, this is an interesting episode to be sharing today amidst all of this. In this episode, I am sharing my conversation with my friend, Dr. Miriam Kermeyer, and we're talking about building a community referral network. I am so grateful for the referral network and the community I have been able to connect with here in San Diego and in the state and across the United States and the world, actually, um, through some of the digital courses that I've offered. And I am so excited to offer this episode and conversation to all of you because we will not be living in this crisis forever. And while social distancing is what we're being asked to do right now, it doesn't have to mean social disconnection. And I think that there are some real ways that we can be continuing to connect with each other, both for our personal reasons, but also for the health of our businesses in building strong referral networks. We also talk about some of the blocks that can come up and comparison that can come up when we are navigating, connecting with other therapists, doing similar things with maybe similar specialties in our communities. Now, I really want to find ways to connect with all of you amidst all of this. And so this week, along with launching Modern Therapist Academy, my private practice um, step-by-step e-course for building a modern private practice, if you're interested in doing that, um, you can find out more information at the link in my profile, as well as my podcasting for therapist course is launching this week. But I want to find a way to also, like in real time, be able to connect with each other. And so I've decided to host a few live webinars where I'll just share some of the things that I'm doing for my business amidst the coronavirus pandemic right now and moving my business online. And also just a way for us to have some Q&As and just get a chance to connect with each other. So if you are interested in joining one of those live webinars, you can find it, the link in the show notes to, to join. And hopefully you could join us live, but I'll also be sending a replay. So even if you can't be there live, definitely sign up so you'll get the email of the replay when that goes out. All right, I'm so excited to share this episode with you. I think there's so many valuable resources and ideas in it. So let's get to the conversation. You're listening to Holding Space for Therapists, a podcast for modern therapists. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy, and I'm passionate about supporting therapists and building profitable, sustainable, and meaningful private practices. Are you ready to build or grow your modern private practice? Let's dive in. 
Hello, Miriam. I'm so glad that we're getting a chance to chat and record an episode together. We've recorded before on my Holding Space podcast about friendships, which was such a popular podcast and so many people always refer to it because people don't often talk about how important friendships are and how to find friends and especially as moms. Mm -hmm. So I loved that conversation in the episode and I'm really excited to have you now on my Holding Space for Therapist podcast to talk about all things community, referrals, building a network, all the good stuff. So thank you, Miriam, for taking the time to do this with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so glad we made this work and I'm really looking forward to chatting again. Me too. Okay. So for any of the therapists, clinicians who are listening right now, um, we all love context and knowing someone's background. So can you share a little bit of your background with all of us? Yeah, definitely. So I am a licensed clinical psychologist. I'm actually located in Montreal in Canada. And I work primarily with young adults and with adolescents who are struggling anxiety and their mood and low self-esteem, life transitions, certainly imposter syndrome, uh, but kind of a big focus of my work is on relationships. So I have spent the last decade or so studying the science of adult friendships, actually, and I kind of bring a lot of that with me into my work as a therapist. So while I don't specialize in friendships in my clinical practice, I do work a lot with people who are looking to build stronger connections Uh, with the important people in their lives, be that friends, partners, family members, children, um, and so on. And uh, so I have my clinical practice, and then I also spend the rest of my time doing a lot of knowledge transfer work. So I'm a writer, and I have a blog with Psychology Today, and I write for some other outlets, and I do a lot of speaking work and and workshops, uh, and I do consulting work as well. So I work with businesses and organizations who are looking to promote healthy connections, and mental wellness in the workplace. Mm, That's amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey into private practice and then like the ways in which you were able to expand and it sounds like really diversify your business? Yeah. So where where can I start? I'm lucky in the sense that the training that I had Um, even though it was a scientist practitioner model and it focused really heavily on the research end of things, there was room to kind of build in different types of clinical training. And so throughout graduate school, which as we know, takes a very, very long time, Mm -hmm. uh, the benefit of that is I had the chance to work in a lot of different um, environments. So I worked in outpatient uh, hospital services, both with youth and with adults. I had a bit of experience working in the private sector. Um, I worked on day treatment programs, actually, for children and families who were struggling. And so through that, I was able to kind of see what it's like and some of the benefits um, and disadvantages of working in different types of settings. And so fairly early on, I had an idea that I wanted to work in the private setting. And we can obviously go into more detail about why. Um, But once I had made that decision, I was then focused on how I could make that work. And so I As I said, I did a few different uh, rotations in various private clinics. And then when I graduated, I started working uh, privately as a therapist. And that was actually interrupted fairly quickly by uh, my going on maternity leave. (laughs) And so that that was another uh, challenge and interesting experience in and of itself. And uh, when my son 
turned one, um, I returned to my clinical practice actually at a different clinic. Um, and I guess the two things that are probably going to jump out at people um, is this question of why change clinics. And I guess the other more shocking piece is maybe the fact that I here in Canada were able to take a full year of maternity leave, which I, I do yeah. not granted at all. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I am, I'm pregnant uh, myself. I'm almost 18 weeks and I am like deep in the planning right now for maternity leave. And I do have a lot of clinicians who reach out on social media, especially in our um, private Instagram community, holding space for therapists. And I know a lot of those therapists are like, yeah, like how trying to figure that out, especially when you're in private practice, right? Especially when you're working for yourself, especially when you don't have um, necessarily paid maternity leave from mm -hmm. some other organization and you're having to kind of figure that out for yourself. So I would love to explore that maybe um, towards the end of our conversation for those for those who can are in that space right now and trying to figure that out because I know that it's definitely something that's very relevant to me um, and to to others who are connected to, to us here in this community so let's talk a little bit about the role of community like when it comes to establishing your practice mm -hmm. what was the role of community and and i think this is really a really important conversation to be having because you know a lot of the episodes and people that i've had on we've talked a lot about the role of like modern marketing and like social media and different ways that therapists can be getting out there and sharing their voice and ways in which that can really support building a strong referral network and mm -hmm. private practice, um, secure private practice, right? Where you have referrals, you know, consistently coming in, but there is like something to say about like, just <laughs> like not old school, but like yeah. the, like having solid community connections, like right. where you actually are. I mean, my community referral network is how my private practice got off the ground and like was the foundation for everything and continues to like sustain my practice in many ways. And so I'd love to hear for you, your thoughts on the role of community and maybe some specific steps that you took to build your referral network. Yeah, it's such an interesting question. And it, I said this before, it definitely has me kind of reflecting on my own experience. And, and it's interesting to look back and see how uh, essential the role of community has been in helping me to build the practice that I now have, both on kind of the emotional end of things and also in practical ways. So I guess I, I'm, I'm wondering where to start, but I, for me, it almost makes more sense to start on the emotional end. And what I mean by that is I think there's... Um, a lot, there's a lot of fear in many ways that goes into starting your own private practice. And there's a lot of room for those concerns to become very big and significant. And yeah. so for me, I know that one of the thoughts that I had early on was recognizing that while this is something I want to do, not necessarily knowing whether that was possible straight out of graduate school. Uh, yeah. most part, people who end up working privately, especially here uh, where I live, they work first in the public sector. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of experience to be gained working in different settings, but sometimes that decision is motivated by fear, motivated by not knowing whether going out on our own uh, right at the get-go is even possible. Right. So for me, certainly community, and that includes uh, friends, former graduates from my program, other therapists and psychologists that I'm connected with here in the city, uh, and even other healthcare and mental health care professionals, 
they were really instrumental in, in supporting me in, in taking this big leap and taking this big jump and knowing that it's okay. And I, and I, I have to give you credit too. We're talking a lot about kind of in-person connections, but the online community of, of the therapists that I've connected with through Instagram and other social channels have really helped me to take a step back and not make decisions from that place of fear and from that scarcity. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of the biggest, um, biggest source of support at all of all was knowing that this is possible that it is possible to go out on your own to build uh you know a practice a modern practice a practice that you're proud of and uh to find the right clients um with whom you're interested in, in supporting and so that is kind of the most the, the biggest thing for me i'll say um and we can talk more about that too but on the practical end it's also been really helpful to hear from other therapists and psychologists who have done this at various stages throughout their career in terms of knowing what are the important decisions to make? Do you rent your own office? Do you join a group practice? How do you market yourself? Uh, how do you make these kinds of decisions? How do you set boundaries in your practice? This is another kind of big question that I that I have struggled with and, and that I've done a lot of work on myself to figure out what makes sense for me. Um, and then I guess the other practical piece is obviously the referral network and building that and putting in the work early on to know that I was in a place where I would have, um, yeah, have, have, have my work out there in a way that would be able to yeah. the people that I'd like to work with. Let's talk a little bit about that piece because, mm-hmm. you know, I think that sometimes people or clinicians can struggle with, okay, like I am setting up shop, like I'm ready to take clients, like mm-hmm. How do I let people know that I'm open, that I'm ready, right? That like they can start referring to me. And like, how do I, I mean, not just like send out maybe one big email blast, you know, if you have those email Mm -hmm. contacts or a few text messages, like how do we let people know and then like continuously be at top of mind for whether it's other mental health providers or other healthcare providers or community members mm-hmm. that you are available and that you are a solid option for maybe you know people that they might be um, engaged with who could be in your ideal client population sort of group or spectrum. So yeah, how how do you let people know <laughs> that you're open? You well, know, it's such a big question. And and obviously this, at least in my experience, isn't something that's taught in graduate school. It also isn't no. really something that's spoken about openly. And so mm-hmm. I had to think about how I wanted to approach this and push myself, frankly, because it's not it's not necessarily easy to put ourselves out there in this way and, and to feel as though we're marketing ourselves. And mm-hmm. I, I feel often like that's at odds with our ability to do important work um but it kind of allows us yeah. to do that ultimately so i guess for me it was it, it was a process that started while i was still in training in the sense of thinking about who are the kinds of people uh the kinds of mentors and supervisors that i really admire and appreciate uh who are the kinds of people who are doing work that i myself would like to do and who do i want to stay connected to and not necessarily in um 
you know, in a transactional way, but in a way of building a community of people that I would hope would be able to refer to me, but that I too could turn to for support, for mentorship, and also ultimately to refer to when I'm not able to, to take on a client. And so I was kind of mindful of that throughout my training and made a real effort to keep in touch with certain previous supervisors. Um, And uh, I think that was really helpful because then when it came time to, as you said, send out those emails or, or reach out to share the news that I was starting my own practice, most of those actually were not cold calls or cold emails. Yeah. And that ended up feeling much more comfortable on my end. And I do think there's something to be said for um, people knowing that you are not looking to just benefit from their experience, but that you're looking to form relationships. Yes. Yes. I couldn't agree more. My experience really aligns with that. So I I know that when I was in graduate school, I was taking really intentional steps. As, and again, in the very beginning, I was like, I think I know what I'm passionate about. But like, you know, I think that first year and those oh, that first semester um, was really about figuring that out, right? Mm-hmm. And like, even then, I was still developing that even after you graduate. Even years later, you're always sure. developing that, right? But I was I knew that I was interested in collaborative care as well as postpartum mental health and family wellness. And so while I was in my master's program, I volunteered for our local postpartum health alliance and that like the relationships that I built then. So like for instance, like the women who were clinicians and on the board um, during the time that I was volunteering and showing up at events. And, you know, um, I was um, on the warm line. So I was a warm line sort of support person when moms were calling in looking for resources in the community. The clinicians who who I connected with on the board during that time are clinicians that now years later like ref- get like send me referrals all the time that I refer to because I was building those relationships very early on and they saw me in the very beginning when I was very fresh and new and like hadn't done a ton of training but over time and over those years those relationships really bloomed I mean I'm just thinking I'm I I set up a peer consultation with um, a colleague who was the president of the P- Postborn Health Alliance when I was in graduate school just a few weeks ago. And, you know, she sends referrals to me all the time and she's someone I refer to all the time. And so those relationships were key and are still important relationships today. And as well as, you know, other things that I'm doing. So I'm a professor and I run supervision groups through the university that I graduated from for my master's. And while I was there, I knew that I wanted to teach. And I knew that like running a practicum group was going to be something that would be, that I really would have enjoyed doing. And so I, I connected with the professors and like the director of the program. And then I maintained those relationships. So I let them know when I got accepted into the PhD program, like I let them know I would check in and let them know how things were going. And when I was ready to graduate, I got an email like before, like a few weeks before graduation that they were um, curious if I would take on an adjunct position and, you know, run some supervision groups. And it was like those, those relationships were, very authentic, not because I wasn't just, again, not just transactional, like this is something I want. I also felt aligned, right? Mm -hmm. So like, that's a big difference is like, I felt aligned with the professors I was connecting with, with the people I was connecting with. And that alignment then 
is creates that authentic connection and trust, which later down the line really supported my business and the ways in which I like my career and the ways in which I bring in income now. And so, yeah, I think that it's so it's so important to consider all the relationships that you're making, even while you're in graduate school, as potentially really important relationships down the line. And so, um, yeah, I think putting in that that energy and that effort because you understand like the the connection that's happening and where that can actually support both you and whoever it is that you're connecting with in the future. Yeah, I guess the two things that come to mind based on, on the experience that you just shared, it's very easy to feel like we need to wait, that these kinds of steps are things that should happen after we're done our training, which of course we know never ends. Um, but whether it's building a referral network or, you know, I get a lot of questions too about the writing that I do and how did you get started and when do you know is the right time? At a certain point, it, it's it's not too early to put in this work. And if anything, it just helps you to kind of um, crystallize what it is you you want to be doing and, and who it is you want to be working with. And so, I, I, yeah, I see that kind of early work as, as really, really important. And it wasn't just with like fellow students or professors. I mean, I, or, or other clinicians in the community, right? Like mm-hmm. I am involved in my community in a variety of ways, meaning like I'm, I'm aware of different providers. Um, and for instance, like the chiropractor that I worked with, the lactation consultant that I worked with when I gave birth to my children, both my children, both of those people ended up being my office mates once I, <laughs> once I went into private practice, because those were real authentic relationships where there was trust there. And as I eased into my professional identity, you know, I was looking around to see like, hey, where could I set up shop? And my chiropractor had an office that was opening in his space that, that the lactation consultant was also joining. And there were um, there were some midwives and some doulas. And it was, for me, in the beginning, a very perfect space. And we became this like really um, trusting like referral network for each other. And, and also, and in, in beyond just like healthcare providers even, I mean, I've I've given talks at nail salons in our community, at um, mommy and me um, locations, and mommy and me like playdate groups, and all, like all of those community connections have absolutely supported the referrals that I that I get and that sustain my business here in my community. And then obviously we can expand and talk about the role that social media has had where things really took off um, because it really expanded um, the connections and network. But if, if I didn't have those established connections in my community from the beginning, it would have taken me a lot longer to create a private practice business that fin- that honestly financially like was ma- was bringing in more money more than like my costs mm-hmm. and um and I wouldn't have gotten to the point of what I was bringing in that as quickly as I did I think if I hadn't had that strong foundation yeah well it's just such an interesting take because it highlights this question of how do we define community and it's really easy to think of communities as kind of small systems right our our academic community the therapist community but I think kind of what you're touching on is this idea that we don't necessarily need to have a narrow view or definition of community and the and the the more flexible approach 
um, that we can take, the the more value we're going to find in our community. And people want to work with and they want to refer to people that they know and people that they trust. And that feeling of trust and the extent to which people feel like they connect with us is very independent from our training, ultimately. I mean, obviously, we want to have the right credentials and experience and expertise, but I find that even myself, the people who I find myself referring to are people that I, I know on a somewhat personal level and the people that I myself would trust to go see. Um, so I think it is important to put in that work of, of being showing up as ourselves above and beyond our titles and our labels and thinking back to what we were just talking about in terms of letting people know the work that you're doing and keeping in touch and sharing updates. It's really easy in a professional context and also just in our personal relationships to feel like taking up space is something that Mm. we should not be doing or that will be perceived as a burden. And I find that it's often uh, the very opposite, that it's nice to hear from people that we used to work with or that we connected with in the past. It's fun to see where people end up. And those kinds of small exchanges help to build that sense of familiarity and closeness. Mm. Okay. I love I love how you brought up systems and how there's just different like levels of systems that we want to be considering when we're building and we're, when we're considering building a community referral network. So I'm sort of like picturing it, you know, there's obviously like micro, macro, exosystems, and I'm kind of picturing this whole idea of like there's you and then around you there, there is like your, your, your personal relationships, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, I have plenty of friends that like are not involved in the clinical world at all that refer like people that they know that I wouldn't otherwise know like to me all the time. And so there's like the, there's like, yes, you're like, you know, your, your personal relationships and that network. And then I think sort of beyond that, we may consider, you know, your, um, your student connections, your um, other, other therapists that you've been connected to in your training. And then beyond that, it's, you know, like other healthcare providers, and then it's other community, um, other community centers or places where you, the people that you could be helping the most are going, right, and making those connections. And then I think the world of um, the digital world has really opened up space for us to to even broaden our reach and to take up space and to have a voice and to build that bridge between ourselves and people that we could be supporting, um, which is especially helpful in this more modern digital age where teletherapy is becoming a real option. Um, and that a lot of clinicians are taking on. Um, but even, even outside of that, I mean, I, I've had clients come in who are in-person clients here in my city of San Diego, and they found me because they're, they have a friend that lives in some other state who listens to my podcast, and they were talking, and she was like, hey, I think this therapist that I listen to on this podcast is in your city. Like, you should check her out. Here's her website. And then they become a client, you know, and it's, and it's, it's what's so beautiful about some of these other ways that we can be connecting at this in this larger level is that the trust that you're talking about, like when somebody listens to you say on a podcast or on Instagram stories and they hear your voice or they see your office or they see the way that you talk about certain issues or um, they, they hear what kind of guests you're having on, what kind of topics you're covering, like over time that really can build a sense of, of trust. Mm -hmm. And that can just be such a, powerful bridge for somebody to take that actual step, even if 
they don't know somebody who knows you personally, right? But like they know you through some of these other platforms. Yeah. I know you and I have had a lot of discussions about, you know, this idea of disclosure and how much of ourselves we share online with clients. And I, I do see kind of a obviously a larger movement where we're pushing back on this idea of being a blank slate, because I think there is so much value in showing up as ourselves and showing parts of ourselves that people can connect with. And we truthfully never really know what that is going to be or how people are going to experience that or what they're going to connect with. But I think it really is ultimately those small moments of connection that then lead to the trust that clients place in us. Right. So let's talk about some of the challenges or blocks that can sometimes get in the way of building community when it comes to private practice. So I'm thinking things like comparison. Um, you know, you mentioned scarcity before, but I think sometimes scarcity can, you know, show up as a block. Um, you know, feeling like there's like competition. Like I can't connect with this person who shares my same like you know, ideal client or maybe even a similar approach um, or lives in my same city or close to me um, and practices there because, I mean, there's that sort of like scarcity mindset, right? There aren't enough clients. And so I I can't make those connections. And I think that, um, I think on social media, obviously these things can show up too and get in the way of just feeling like that comparison piece. Um, so yeah, maybe could you speak about some of those challenges that can get in the way and and if you can relate to any of that or, or ways in which you think that people can begin to honor that those things may show up and how can we continue to move forward right. in building those connections to support our businesses mm-hmm. inevitably? I mean, can I relate to any of that? I can relate to all of that, right? <laughs> as, as we probably all can in some way. Yep. That, that showed up very early on when I was thinking about um, you know, how do I describe the work that I do and how do I set my rate and what kinds of boundaries am I setting? So for me, I don't work in evenings, which I know is in many ways a controversial decision, um, both kind of for, for clients and on the therapist end of things. There is this idea, uh, at least for some, that early on, you almost need to be kind of you know, paying your dues and, and being available mm-hmm. to clients and, and, and that that's necessary in order to build a practice. And so for me, it was uh, you know, some, some inner work that I had to do early on where I was saying, this is important to me. This is a value. Uh, frankly, it's also just not possible because my husband works um, evenings yeah, um, But I knew that this was something I had to work through on my own in order to be okay with it and to not be apologetic about setting those kinds of boundaries. So that was one challenge initially. Uh, but a lot of what you're describing continues to show up, even now that I've been in practice for a while. You know, this idea of, of building connections and not getting caught up in the comparison game and how that can stand in the way of, of connections with others, but also our own kind of well-being and success and ability to kind of push forward. Um it's it is very challenging and this comes up a lot in my work on friendships but as i'm saying in my in my own personal professional life as well i think the key to this is twofold one is being very kind to ourselves and normalizing the experience that mm. this is something we all face 
at some point in time. Uh, I mean, we're wired. We're wired to compare, especially when you're walking into a new situation. Of course, the natural thing to do in a new environment or a new endeavor is to look around and say, huh, I wonder what others are doing here, right? Whether it's stepping into private practice or stepping into a group practice or stepping into showing up you know, in social media, it's very natural as a human to look around and say, what are others doing? And I think that that is one is is comparison in many ways, right? Mm-hmm. It's like trying to figure out like what are the rules here? Like what's the culture? Like what do, like how are people navigating this? What do you do? And that's can be actually quite helpful, but obviously we all know that sometimes that can slip into feeling like you're less than or shame mm-hmm. or um jealousy or or just feeling like it's or, or competitiveness or scarcity. I mean, all those things can obviously, you know, sometimes comparison, the way it delivers the message of like, here's what others are doing is not so helpful, right? Um, we can get hooked pretty easily. Yeah. But, but, you know, you raise an excellent point, which is this idea that if we can shift our relationship with the experience of comparing ourselves to other people, then it doesn't become as destructive. So if we can right. see first of all, normalize and recognize that this is happening and that to some extent that's okay. Uh, and more than that, there can sometimes be value in that experience. As you're saying, we're, we can learn from other people. We can assess kind of the norms of the situation. Sometimes it gives us ideas of what we ourselves want to do and things that we might not feel comfortable doing. And that's equally okay. Yeah. Um, I also find for myself at different points in my life, when I've noticed the emotion of uh, envy coming up, mm-hmm. that, that has been a really helpful force for change because in many ways it's my compass telling me that this is something I want to do. This is a value I hold dear. This is kind of the direction that I want to move in. And so the more I can do to channel that, the more I'm able to kind of tolerate that difficult emotion in the moment, but also move towards the kind of experience that I want to create for myself. And so it's not all uh, negative. And, And that approach can help to kind of reframe, as I said, our relationship with those types of experiences that can come up. And then obviously, the more we can do to not just normalize those emotions, but to treat ourselves with the kindness that we do show our friends and that we do show the important people in our lives, that also helps that we need to have, uh, we could all use a bit, we we could all afford to be a little bit more patient with ourselves and a little bit kinder in terms of our (laughs) self-doubt. A healthy dose of compassion in all of this. (laughs) Yes. And then, you know, I think when it comes to that scarcity voice, um, you know, and that scarcity voice is just basically fear and like trying to protect us and trying to, you know, keep us safe by like, you know, keeping it. But unfortunately, what it does is it can lead to isolation. Um, But I think that you know, one of the things that um, in my uh, Modern Therapist Academy e-course um, for building a modern private practice, like I was, when I was developing it, I was like, okay, like, yes, like we need to cover like the basics of like vision and ideal client. And when I want to support you in finding a space and build and creating a space that fits your needs and marketing and protecting your business and paperwork, like, you know, setting your fee, all the things. And I was like, but you know what? Like after all of this, there needs to be a whole module now on like talking about scarcity mindset and like boundaries and burnout and all of those things. And, you know, dive deeper obviously in there, but like one of the huge components of this is being able to create that mindset shift to recognize that like, yes, it's 
it has all been done before, right? Like it really truly has. Like there's another therapist out there in your same city, in your same like, you know, zip code who specializes in what you do and has maybe even similar training. But the thing is, is that it's been done. It just hasn't been done by you, right? Like, and I've been humbled many times to recognize that I haven't been the right fit for someone. And I've also had the experience where someone's been looking for a therapist forever, it feels like to them, and they come in and they finally feel safe and like this is the right fit for them, right? And so there's there is there's a client out there that's looking for support and they're looking for someone just like you. And it's that's I think that when I'm able to recognize that and also reflect on like the concern of scarcity forgets all the experiences that we've had where we have been able to make those connections and like we have had we have been the right fit and like it was it was not just like our specialty and our training but it was it was who you were it was your voice it was the way that you showed up right mm-hmm. and so i think that when i am able to remind myself of that data like that helps sort of unhook that scarcity spiral as well yeah yeah i mean this is this is this feels very therapeutic for me right now to hear you walk me through this. But, you know, I'm just thinking too, in terms of seeing our colleagues who are doing similar work and who have similar expertise and niches, not as competitors. And it's very easy to fall into that trap. But the reality is, as you said, clients will connect with different people for different reasons, as we do as therapists. And that's the beauty of therapy in many ways. But there have also been moments where, your connection with a client is is an excellent referral source in the sense that they can then vouch for you. But obviously there are important barriers and kind of boundaries uh, to be navigated there. And so for me, I will often have existing clients ask me if I can see somebody in their family or in their friend group. And I'm very careful about navigating that. And I want to know that I have colleagues that I can refer to who are doing similar work with a similar approach. And that is very, very helpful because I know that, you know, when we make a referral, that also says something about us. And I want to make sure that I'm, I'm referring to somebody that I trust. Hello, hello, Dr. Cassidy here popping in to the episode. This is actually the end of part one of this conversation. And the reason I decided to break it up is that now Miriam and I are going to talk a little bit about maternity leave, which is a different topic, but relevant and related to having a strong referral network. But I know it's not necessarily um, relatable for everyone right now. So if you are interested in hearing more about maternity leave and finding that episode, you can go to part part two of this podcast for my conversation with Miriam. And I hope that you all enjoyed this episode and this conversation. You can find all the links to find Miriam's work and for Modern Therapist Academy and the Podcasting for Therapists e-course, as well as the free live webinar I mentioned in the beginning, where we can connect about how we're all navigating this coronavirus and our private practice businesses. You can find all those links at the show notes. I hope to see you in the next episode on maternity leave, if that's something that you are interested in. Have a beautiful rest of your day and take care.